So good to see you all here on another beautiful morning. Um, thank you for those of you who are joining us online as well. I'm going to read just from one of the Psalms. It's not the Psalm that I'm going to spend uh, the, the message in, but it's one I want to just open up our time of worship uh, together. This is Psalm 103. Might be familiar words to, to some of you, but just, just listen to these words. Psalm 103, my soul blessed the Lord and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. My soul bless the Lord and do not forget his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. Why don't you join me in prayer and ask that we would come and and just really feed on, on his word this morning. Lord, that is our prayer. Thank you for giving us this beautiful day, for waking us up, giving us breath, helping us to get here and be amongst the people of God, um, to hear the word of God. Lord, I now ask that the Spirit of God would come now and fill our hearts and open our ears and our eyes, that we would see the wonderful things in your word. And that by seeing those things, that we would believe, that we would have life in your name, that we would see you, Jesus, and become more like you by what we see. God, we need your help for this. This is a a supernatural thing uh, that we're doing. And so come now and, and help us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We started a series last week called You Keep Using That Word. And we did Freedom. Uh, last week, and now that's all, that's all done and dusted. Um, I, the U.S. election is all finished, so we don't have to worry about freedom anymore. Now we're going to talk about blessing. So the word for the week, um, I feel like this is a little bit like Sesame Street, when you, you know, like today's episode is brought to you by the, the letter whatever. And so today is the, the, work of the, the word of the week is the word blessed. It's a word that you see a lot, in particular, you see it on social media. It's become a hashtag. It's, uh, you see it in artworks. I was just walking through just a random uh, group of shops the other day. It was one of those shops that sells, you know, like the $1, $2 stuff. And they've got all these, you know, artwork, home decoration things. And, and there's so many of them that, that use that word, blessed or blessing. We like that word. It's positive. It gives off kind of good vibes that, you know, you want to be blessed. Nobody wants to be cursed. We all want to be blessed. And, and so you see these signs everywhere that say too uh, blessed to be stressed and stuff like that. Um, I found one online. I think it's up on the screen or it's somewhere. It might, might not be. But it's, uh, there it is. I'm too blessed to be stressed because God said... If I do my best, he will do the rest. That is not the gospel, by the way. That's actually anti-gospel, but you can buy that. That came from a website, just in case you were wondering, from called fineamericanart.com. Um, and just so you know, that is not actually stationary. That is a Duna cover. Kid you not. You can go buy it for like $100. Um, so... We talk about blessing a lot. It's, it became a hashtag very popular on like Instagram and Facebook. Maybe five or six years ago, you started seeing more of those. I, I did this because I thought you would want to know these, this data. Um, currently, right now, the hashtag blessed on Instagram um, has 130 million posts that have that hashtag. There's another 3 million posts with the hashtag so blessed. 
Another 5 million uh, that say hashtag blessed with the praying hands emoji after it. Another 1.7 million have blessed beyond measure. So what is it that, about Instagram that makes its users so blessed? Are they really just blessed or are they just projecting an image for us to see and, then, and like? Um, I don't know. Maybe you've used them. I think I've used these hashtags occasionally. Um, so no judgment. Um, I, I often sign off emails with the word blessings, which is kind of like the Christian version of kind regards. Like we don't really know what it means. It's just kind of a convention uh, that we use. Uh, I was saying this to somebody this morning. I was on, I was following U.S. election news, and I happened to be on Twitter, which I don't recommend that you do, uh, but I was. And I saw somebody was like disagreeing with somebody else, happened to be a fairly famous uh, pastor author, and um, was, didn't like this pastor author's take on the U.S. election. And so this lady wrote a tweet. She said, um, I'm having a small book burning in my house. Blessings afterwards. Clearly, I don't know who she was blessing and what that actually means. We just, it, it's a word that really can mean anything. It can mean almost anything. Um, I come from the South in the U.S., and it's, it's a well-known sort of joke, stereotype, that if you say, bless your heart in the South, it actually means you're so dumb. But it sounds nice. And, and, and so we, it's just a word that we really need to figure out what it actually, what it actually means. What it actually means. So we're going to turn to Scripture uh, to, to say, what, what is it that mean, what does blessed mean? Are we blessed or not? How do we know? We'll get there. But let me, let me first sketch out two ways that we typically use this word and see if you can relate. The first way I'm going to call Qantas points blessings. Qantas points blessings. Uh, these are the blessings that you can count. If you remember or have ever heard the old, old song, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. Um, these are tangible things you can point to, you can measure, you can track. You know, for example, I have a beautiful wife and daughters... They're blessings. We live in a comfortable, safe house. That's a, a blessing. We have more than enough food to eat. That's a blessing. We belong to a great church. A blessing. I even get to work for you through the week. That's a huge blessing. And, 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 and right now, I'm, I'm healthy. Again, a, a blessing. These are blessings that I can measure, that I can count. And why I say they're like Qantas points is that um, we count them. We store them up we can kind of look to the people around us and compare how many blessings I have versus how many you have or other people. So sometimes we are thankful that, man, we have all these blessings and so many, the list is so long and we don't feel like we deserve it. Or on the other end of the spectrum, we think maybe we got shortchanged a little bit compared to other people. We sort of do that comparison thing. Um, The problem, though, with Qantas Point's blessings is that we're not very good at anticipating the twists and turns of life, how circumstances change. Um, I don't know how many of you have a bunch of Qantas points right now um, or something similar. You probably haven't cashed any in recently, at least not this year. And, And I don't think anybody this time last year would have anticipated that we would be in a season where literally you can fly almost nowhere. There are people that had holidays and, and big things, planning for years, booked in for this year, and all of a sudden, no, we can't do that. No one could have predicted it. Blessings, circumstances change. 
uh, it reminded me of a story in Scripture. If you go back to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 12, Jesus tells the story of a, of a blessed man or a man who thought he was blessed, who probably used the hashtag on all of his Instagram things or whatever he did in that day. He, he, he thought, man, last year, he was a farmer. Uh, my, my grain, my yield was so incredible. Um, and this year, it's even better. This year, it's even better. So good that I'm going to have to tear down my storage facility, my barn, my warehouse, and build a bigger one. Um, to contain all of my blessings. Well, here's what Jesus said. Jesus tells the story, and he, he kind of drops the hammer on him. He says, but God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you, and the things you've prepared, your blessings, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. Jesus' point here is that we like blessings that we can control, and we think we can't. We live like we can control our Qantas points account. We can cash them in whenever we want until the day that we can't. They're really hard to hold on to, these, these blessings. And so if your happiness is tied to what's in your account, it's going to really hurt and sting when you can't use them or the, 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 it's just depleted. You know, if our blessings are tied to numbers, the number of people who like you, the number on your exam paper, the number of rooms in your house, the number of holidays you take in a year, the number on the scale. If, the, if your happiness is tied to those kinds of numbers, then when those blessings, those numbers deplete, or when they fade into disappointments, our happiness goes away never to return. Let me tell you about a second kind of blessings. A second kind of blessings are what I call Pollyanna blessings. Pollyanna Blessings, you may not know who that is, but uh, she was a character in a, in a series of books from about 100 years ago. It was made into a movie that won awards in the early 1960s. Um, and the, Pollyanna is the main character's young girl. Her uh, parents died when she was young, and she ended up going to live with her aunt. And, and her aunt was very uh, cranky. She was always she was a very negative person. And so there arose this contrast between the aunt, who was very negative, saw the negative side of life, and, and, and Pollyanna, who was taught by her dad to play what she called the glad game. And the glad game was that you, she believed that you could find the glad or something to be glad about in anything. In absolutely anything, if you thought hard enough, you could find the silver lining. You could find something to be glad about. And there's some people that use that word now, Pollyanna, as a bit of a, um, like as a bit of a, a, a slam, a bit of a criticism, because we're cynical. And we think, man, there's not, come on, that's not realistic. Have you actually lived? There's so much that's wrong and bad and sad and difficult in the world. You can't be glad about everything. That's ridiculous. Um, but there's, there's actually a lot of good research that says if you're able to, to push through grief and, and look at things that you've gained in seasons of grief and not simply what you've lost, that that's actually good for mental health. It's good for getting through seasons of grief. And we often do this in, in our Christian circles as well. We, we can say to ourselves when things are going bad, we can say to other people that God's got this. Uh, God will bring the good out of the bad. He'll bring the beauty from the ashes. We quote Romans 8, 28, we, which says, we know all things work together 
even bad things, all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. But the problem is, is that sometimes that's just really hard to do. It's really hard to see and believe. We want to, but we're kind of conditioned by our culture to think this is an instantaneous quick thing. Like I've gone through something really hard and I should just instantly be able to claim the good or see the good. And if I can't, if I'm still stuck in feeling sad that there's something wrong. But the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say that this understanding of finding something good in something or something glad in something sad is going to happen overnight. The Bible actually says that the ultimate reason for our sadness is that we live in a broken, fallen world, and we are broken and fallen people. It's the sinful state of our own hearts. And, 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 and positive talk is not the gospel, is it? It's, it, it? There's nothing it says that I can just change my circumstances, I can just change the reality of my heart by just saying positive things about myself. So what does the Bible actually mean when it says that we are blessed. Who is blessed? Who's not? If it's not about the number of points we've got in our account, the amount of treasure we have, if it's not about our circumstances, if it's not about just having a positive attitude towards what we've got, even if it's small, then what is it? Well, let's turn now to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, the very first psalm in the book of Psalms. Very intentionally, strategically placed. Um, I'm going to read it. I'm reading from the ESV uh, just because the ESV uses the word blessed. If you have the CSB, which we normally uh, read from, it uses the word happy. And I'll, exp- I'll explain why in just a second. But I'm going to read from the ESV. Ble- and this is another Christian thing we do. Whenever the word blessed starts a sentence, we have to say it blessed. I don't know why. But I'll do it just for convention. All right. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right. First Psalm. This Psalm is the the gateway to all 150 Psalms. It's the the opening uh, verse. And it's interesting because it's different to all the, like most of the other Psalms are, are prayers spoken to God or worship songs sung uh, to God. Whereas this Psalm is God speaking to us. This is God saying, this is what blessing really is and what it isn't. This is the way of the blessed man or woman. Um, the, the word that is translated blessing or happy, uh, depending on the translation uh, that you have, um, is the, comes from the Hebrew word asher. Um, it's, it, it means happy. It simply means happy. And it's a, a, it's a deep, abiding happiness. The equivalent word in Greek uh, is the word makarios. And it's, according to the New Bible Dictionary, it's used to describe a state of happiness and well-being such as the gods enjoy. Not affirming that there are many gods, but this is just what it, the, the dictionary definition of blessed 
It's a deep, abiding, divine happiness, a sense of well-being that is resilient, that will stand up in difficult times and seasons. It's not like the happiness of the toddler that's only happy when he or she is getting his or her way. It's resilient. It just keeps going. And throughout the Bible, right from the very beginning, God's desire for you, what he wants for you and us is to live in this state of happiness. He he wants you to be happy in this way. To live knowing that the one who made you is for you and not against you. How do I know that? Well, if you go all the way back to the very beginning, go back to Genesis chapter 1. Right after he makes human beings, the first human beings, male and female, in his own image. You know what he says? Verse 28. He says, he blessed them. And God said to them, and here's the blessing, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So as soon as the very first humans come into existence, God says, I want you to be happy. I want you to be blessed. He blesses them, and he speaks this word, and he says, because I've made you in my image, you are now blessed. Now go and live like it. Go and rule. Go and be my representative. Be my witness as blessed creatures. Later on in in Genesis, we see God blessing the humans after they'd fallen into sin. It's not like they fell into sin, and yes, there was a curse. Yes, there was consequences. But then we still see God blessing sinful humans. Right after Noah comes out of the ark, after he kind of starts over, He blesses Noah and says the exact same thing. Go be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule over it, subdue it. Then in chapter 12, he, he looks at one man, one family, a guy called Abraham, and he says this. Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, if you know the story of the Bible, you know that that is a reference to Jesus, who would ultimately come in the line of Abraham. And Jesus came that all the peoples of the earth, every nation, tribe, and tongue would be blessed and would be represented there around his throne, living in eternal happiness. That is God's will for you and for everybody and for every nation that we might be blessed, that we might be happy. Now, I'm going to show you this from Psalm 1, what this blessing looks like. When we get it, when we realize that we've been blessed by God, here's what the blessed life looks like. According to Psalm 1, the one who is blessed is the one who lives God's way, who feeds on God's word, and who becomes God's witness who lives God's way, feeds on God's word, and becomes God's witness. All right, let's start with the first bit. Verse 1. Verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Psalm 1 gives us essentially two ways to live. There's the blessed life and the unblessed life. The righteous life and the wicked life. There's two ways to live, two people that we can be. 
If you see, you see this very clearly in verse 6, in the last verse, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's a huge contrast between the blessed, righteous life that will live on and on and on and on, and the wicked life that will be destroyed. The way of the righteous man is the blessed life. So what is the way of the righteous man? What does it mean to live God's way? Well, the verbs in verse 1 give us a little bit of a clue. It talks about walking in the counsel of, standing in the way of, to sit in the seat of. These verbs are all about imitation. They're all about imitating something, or better, someone. Um, the blessed man is the one who, who sees um, the blessed life, uh, who sees righteousness and says, I want to do that. And then the opposite is true. He sees the unblessed life. He sees wickedness and says no to that. No to the wicked. No to sin. No to doing what you know is wrong. No to mocking and, and cynicism and paying out those who do what is good. The blessed man looks at all that and says hard pass. That's what it means to be blessed. And because he does that, then he himself, and this is, I'm using he here, it can mean he or she, um, it becomes someone worth imitating. The blessed person is someone worth imitating. And I wonder, does that describe you? Do you see yourself as someone worth imitating? Do you know anyone who's like this, who lives with such intentional integrity that their lives are just exemplary? You want to be like them. You want to follow them as they follow Christ. I was uh, meeting... Uh, just catching up with a pastor this week, and, and I asked him if he was following the U.S. election, and he said, well, no, actually, because I decided a few weeks ago that follow, like obsessively or compulsively following the news was just really not good for my soul. It wasn't good for my family, so I, I decided to stop, um, which is a bold thing to do. It's a countercultural thing. It might seem a simple thing to do, but it's a countercultural thing to do. To recognize that what I'm doing right now is actually bad for my soul. It's bad for my family. It's not worth imitating. It is actually pushing me away from the blessed life. And I'm going to stop. That's what it means to live God's way. It's to, to be intentional. To recognize that this is not good. And making an active decision. And sometimes you just have to make those kinds of calls to walk the way of obedience. The blessed man lives God's way. Now, it's hard to live God's way if you don't know God's way, if you don't know what it is. Um, if you go further into verse 2, you see the blessed man, instead of sort of passively feeding on what's popular and fun around him, he feeds on God's word. So it's not just saying, don't do this, don't be like that. He gives a positive example here in verse 2. He says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. He's on his law. He meditates day and night. You know, you can't live the blessed life. You can't walk the way of the righteous man if you don't crave and feed on God's word. One of the joys of having a one-year-old at home is this, this word delight. Like if you, you know, want to know what it looks like, spend time with a one-year-old. They they're very good. She delights in all sorts of things, in horses, dogs, ducks, Cheerios, bananas. But most of all, she delights in her family. In her sisters, say, just say their names, even if they're not in the room, and she lights up, she'll, you'll get a, an expression of delight. If they're not home, she wants to see pictures of them on my phone. And we're all grown up. You know, we, 
We learn to hide our delight so no one thinks we're weird. When's the last time you squealed with delight when, you know, the barista gave you your coffee at the cafe? But see here, the blessed man, the blessed woman is the one who delights in God's law so much that it's just, it's on the top of the stack, the front of the mind all the time, day and night. He's thinking about it. She's applying it to situations of her day, praying about it. And the law that he's talking about here, it's not just the law like the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the whole Bible, all of God's word, meditating, thinking about it. You remember, um, when the, if you know the story of Jesus, when he was tempted to sin, to deviate from the way of righteousness um, by, by Satan, he, what does he do? He, he pulls out God's word that he's been meditating on, that he's memorized, that he knows. And he says this, he says this from Deuteronomy 8, he says, man does not live on bread alone, on Qantas points, blessings alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's how we live. That's what gives us life. It's what makes life worth living. Every word that comes from the mouth of God is what keeps us alive. Listen up to what I'm going to say here. He uses the word meditates. Meditates. What does that mean? It's not the Eastern kind of meditation, let's empty the mind and then hopefully something comes in. No, that's not the kind of meditation that he's talking about. Meditating on the Bible is, is um, it's kind of the intersection between reading the Bible and prayer. It's what, it, it's what brings those two things together. It, it's different to reading the Bible and even studying the Bible. So reading the Bible... Or, or, or listening to it, re- being read, is good because we believe that faith, belief, comes by hearing God's word. We take it in for a kind of a basic understanding. Studying the Bible is when we really want to go deep and understand, well, what does that word mean? And why is that word used with that other word? And how many times is it used in this particular section? And, and what is the emphasis? What's the main point? That's studying the Bible. Meditating on the Bible is more about getting the Bible from here into here, and eventually here. So from the head to the heart to the hands. That's what meditating helps us do. And uh, think about this. Think about one of the shortest verses in the Bible, John eleven thirty four. 34. Anybody know it? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now think about it. So reading the Bible, it's that, reading that verse is pretty quick. It's two words. Jesus wept. Done. Studying it. Well, you might want to know the word that's translated wept. What kind of weeping are we talking about? Are we talking about the, you know, the, the, the macho manly tears? Are we talking about just on the floor in deep, deep grief, loud sobs? What kind of, and you can find that out by studying the Bible. Meditating on the Bible. Jesus, the fullness of God, everything of who God is dwells, is in, contained within Jesus, the creator, the most powerful, awesome, holy God, stood next to and amongst a group of grieving women, and he wept. Wow. What does that say when I am grieving? What does that say when someone else is grieving, that the Lord of the universe cares, knows? See, that's, that's meditation, to just, let's think, what, is this, what does this mean? What does this say to my heart? And then how can I apply, the, how can I live this? How can I feel this? 
The one who does this is blessed. This is the blessed life, the one who feeds on God's word. He uses, he's about to jump into the illustration or the, me, the metaphor of a tree. And you think about a tree. A tree doesn't decide where it's planted. It just is. And you know that the trees that thrive are the trees that are next to the water. And they don't just, the trees aren't just there looking at the water saying, hey, there's water. That's nice. No, the water has to get from the ground and up through the roots and into the trunk and into the branches and leaves of the tree for it to be blessed. That's meditation. So far, the blessed man lives God's way and takes in God's word, absolutely delights in it so much that it's like food uh, for the soul. The last attribute here of the blessed life is that the blessed man becomes God's witness. Look at verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in seasons. Leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Streams of water here are what nourishes the tree. It's what we, we just saw with the word of God. Drinking it in, getting it into us so that it's nourishing to us, it's sustaining for us, and it makes us useful, makes us fruitful. Uh, this is a time of year when, you know, everybody's front garden starts to look a little less green, right? It starts to get a bit dull and brown, and, and um, in, in my front garden, the, the grass slash weeds, it's mostly weeds, there's, there's some patches of it that are greener than others. Why? Well, maybe because certain, maybe certain species of weeds are more hardy in the sun. I don't know. But it's probably because the condition has something to do with the condition of the soil underneath. That certain soil, and like ele- depending on the elevation and the topography, will hold more water, right? And so you look around, you see the green patches, and you, you know from the green patches, well, that's where the water is. The green tells you something. It indicates something. It is a witness to show you where the water is. The same thing is true of our lives. So when you flourish in heat, when hard things come your way, difficult seasons come your way, and you don't collapse under the pressure, when you flourish, when you're still able to praise God, when, you're st- when you don't sink into bitterness or despair, you are a witness for the goodness of God, that your soul is feeding on the gospel of grace. You become a witness. You become fruitful. When, when you're a person who is, your buttons are being pushed and pushed and pushed, maybe by your workmates, maybe by your kids, maybe by other people in your life, your buttons are pushing, 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 and you don't react. You, you rea- respond with grace and love and humility. You're a, a witness that your, your soul is healthy and flourishing because God has done a work. He is feeding you and you are feeding on him and his word. The blessed man, the blessed woman becomes God's witness. You don't wither and people notice. Let me say a word about this phrase where it says, in all that he does, he prospers. A very misused and misunderstood phrase in Scripture. Because the only way you can understand what prospering looks like is not to look at a single other human being except one, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the prosperous one. And how much money did he have in his bank account? Not much. He was the king of kings, and yet he was born in obscurity with animals. Sometimes he tells us he didn't have anywhere to sleep at all. 
He slept outside. His hometown, his friends rejected him. His mother didn't believe in him. One of his own closest friends betrayed him, stole money from him. Another close friend denied that he knew him. He was, according to Isaiah 53, verse 3, despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we did not value him. And yet, if you read on to the end of that chapter, Isaiah 53, after learning that Jesus willingly, freely chose to die, to accept the death sentence that you and I deserve so that we might live, says this, after his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion. He will receive the mighty as spoiled because he willingly submitted to death. Here's Jesus' life story. Here's his biography. The cross and then the crown. That's what true prosperity looks like. The cross and then the crown. Whatever Jesus did prospered. You know why? Because his heart was united. It was joined. It was knit together with the heart of the Father. That's why he went to the cross and he didn't choose the kingdoms of the world that were rightfully his that he could have taken. And he said, no, I am going to obey the Father because my heart is joined to him. And that is the way of blessing. Doesn't matter how much I have in my bank account. Doesn't matter how much power and control and freedom from pain that I have right now. I have the Father's heart and that is enough. That's prosperity. God made him perfect, it says in Hebrews, through suffering. Perfect, prosperous, fruitful, joyful, forever. Through suffering. See, the opposite of the blessed life is to follow the way of the wicked. And in Psalm 1, compares the way of the wicked to like to chaff or dandelion fluff that you just blow on and the wind just takes it off into nothing. In contrast to the, the tree that's thick, and planted and immovable. The blessed life goes on forever because you are joined to the God who goes on forever and he's the strongest stuff there is. He doesn't just give you the word to live by, but he is the word. He gives you himself. He is the blessed man of Psalm 1. And the way to get that life, the way to get the God life, is to recognize that he, you are dependent on him to give it to you and to know that he is freely and joyfully willing to give it to you, so willing that he gave you his own son that you might have that blessed life. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who is what? Who has blessed us with not just a slice of who he is, but with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. What are those blessings? Well, he goes on in Ephesians 1 to say, you've been chosen, set apart to be holy and blameless in love before him. You were predestined to be adopted as a son or a daughter of God through Jesus Christ according to his good pleasure. It says, your redemption was purchased through his blood. Every one of your sins, past, present, future, forgiven according to the riches of his grace. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. In Christ. Here's the key verse for this week. Psalm 1 verse 2. Psalm 1 verse 2. We'll, we're sharing this with the, with the kids. 
as well. We'll put it up on our social media this week. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I hope uh, some of you have, have taken up the challenge to be in the Word for, for 28 days uh, this month. Um, you can start today. You don't, if you missed it last week, that's okay. Start today. It's just 28 days. Um, and, and go. It doesn't just have to be for November. We're doing Matthew, as I said last week, because it's 28 chapters. It's not just reading it, though, to tick the box. It's, it's being able to delight in what you read, to delight in the God who said, this word is for you. This is for you. This is how you become fruitful. This is nourishment for your soul. Pray through it. Linger on it. Let it shape the way you feel about things. Look for God's grace and apply it to your soul. Remind yourself that the blessed life is not up to you. It's not up to you working for it or banking it in an account or just tricking yourself into thinking that everything's okay when it's not. You don't have to convince yourself that you're blessed even though your circumstances are terrible because if you're in Christ, then you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You don't have to compare yourself to anyone. You're free because if you're in Christ, you're blessed no matter what. And when your circumstances change, and they will, maybe for the good, maybe for the worse, you can stand. You, can, you won't lose your joy, your happiness, because it's not dependent on your circumstances. It's not a sign of God removing his blessing or his favor when things don't go well. Because his blessing, every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. You know what? The opposite is often true. It's often hardship, difficulty, suffering that really teaches us, really strips away all that we really chase after for happiness and joy. Hardship is the thing that teaches us that, you know what, my Qantas points account, is, is, it's empty and it's not what makes me happy. I can't be glad about this or that or this other thing unless I know that I have Christ and if I have him and he has me, then I have everything now and forever. Let me close with just one more word of blessing from Jesus. It's in Matthew 5. Uh, one of the Beatitudes, which are words of blessing. There's a whole list of them. It's a parallel to Psalm 1. If you want to do some meditation on the blessed life, I encourage you to just spend some time just looking at those verses in Matthew 5. Here's one. I'll just pick out one of them. And linger on these words. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's a promise that is completely independent of your circumstances. You will be satisfied in Christ. The way of, the righteousness, of righteousness and blessing is not to work for it. It's to believe it. You have it if you have Christ and he has you. He will satisfy you. He will. Let him be the one that you delight in. That is the happy life. That is the blessed life. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you did not look at us and measure out blessings to us according to how much we deserve them. Because in truth, none of us deserves the overflowing abundance of riches that you have made available through the sacrifice and free gift of your son, Jesus. None of us 
is worthy. None of us deserves it. And yet, Lord, you have blessed us with blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace. And your word is what reminds us how blessed we are in Christ. Lord, we want, our hearts will not believe that unless we are taught by your Holy Spirit to believe that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We will always look to our circumstances. We'll always try to convince ourselves and work for it. Free us, God, from that. Free us. Help us to believe that we are, in fact, blessed. More blessed than we can even imagine. Lord, come now and, and use this time of communion to be that means of, of grace, of reminding, of teaching, of confirming and assuring and comforting. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.